The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. show today we continue our journey to talking about scream six with the first sequel scream two but before we dive in i want to welcome back jessica Olsman. Woo! i mean ah, i don't know screaming hello hi <laughs> and coming at us with his red right hand greg magoon hello ah! that was a good one go. you like that yeah that's what do you got? The, what do you got, Brandon? What's your sequel scream? On the spot. On the spot. My sequel scream. Oh, because <laughs> Master P oh, did yeah. his song. <laughs> That's. We'll go to that. We'll talk about that later. Um, but yeah, this is the sequel. Um, and we are here after last week, so go back and listen to our scream episode, and then come here for. I just show up for scream too. I don't care. Whatever uh, it is you want to do with these things. Um, so let's dive right in to Scream 2 from 1997. Let's get down to business. The way I see it, someone's out to make a sequel. You know, cash in on all the movie murder hoopla. So it's our job to observe the rules of the sequel. Number one, the body count is always bigger. Number two, the death scenes are always much more elaborate. Carnage candy. Number three, never, ever, under any circumstances, assume the killer is dead. How did we find the killer, Randy? That's what I want to know. Well, let's look at the suspects. There's Derek, the obvious boyfriend. So you think it's Derek? Not so fast. So forget the boyfriend. It's tired. Who else do we got? There's Mickey, the freaky Tarantino film student. But if he's a suspect, so am I. So let's move on. Maybe you are a suspect. Well, if I'm a suspect, you're a suspect. Do you have a point? Okay, let's move on. Directed by, again, Wes Craven. Written, again, by Kevin Williamson and starring. Bear with me here. Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, Jamie Kennedy, Lee Schreiber, Jerry O'Connell, Timothy Oliphantastic, Elise Neal, Jada Pinkett Smith, Omar Epps, Larry Metcalf, Sarah Michelle Geller, Joshua Jackson, Rebecca Gayhart, Portia de Rossi, Dwayne Martin, Louis Arquette, Marisol Nichols, David Warner, Nancy O'Dell, Heather Graham, Luke Wilson, Tori Spelling, and the voice of Roger Jackson. Cinematography on this one is by Peter Deming, who does Screams 2 three and four so he will stay with the family here um he recently shot the menu and shotgun wedding so i just saw the menu yeah it's, it's that's a fantastic little piece of little dish that one uh-huh. uh <laughs> i got the puns two years after the first series of murders as sydney acclimates to college life someone donning the ghost face costume begins a new string of killings yes so uh where are we at with scream two jessica when that came out uh still in elementary school so i think i don't know if we went to theater and watched it or if it was another pay-per-view uh but i wanted to love it because i'm so obsessed with the first one so i think no matter what they did i was going to love it and you know re-watching it it's kind of like i don't know if that i don't know if i believe in the two killers. I know the one I believe in, but the second one doesn't make sense to me. So I don't know. I'm going to pass on this question, Brandon. Oh, okay. Greg. <laughs> there's just too much um, overthinking. I love that they're in college. I love that there's a film class. Yeah. Being the little kid wanting to go to Hollywood and do all that stuff. But it was like subpar compared to the first one for me. Mm, okay. Oh, interesting. Um, 
I did see this in theaters. Um, I don't remember vividly it because I, I remember, and when we get to Scream 3, I have a fun story about that. But this one I did see in theaters. And I remember not being able to go to the bathroom ever in a movie theater for about, <laughs> oh, about six months to a year after seeing this movie. Um, I couldn't do it. I literally could not, like, get into a stall. But, like, after this movie, I could not get into a stall um, in, a, in a movie theater bathroom. So, like, both but the first one traumatized me because my house looked like it growing up. <laughs> and the second one traumatized me because I went to movies all the time. It's like, I can't pee. <laughs> Like, give me a trough or a urinal, but I can't pee. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, I don't really remember my f- feelings towards it other than liking it in the theaters. But I was still kind of young. So, um, so I think it just, like, the fear of that kind of came to be. And then when you found out who the killers were, I became less fearful of it because... Um, they're all so linked to Sydney that I think that horror movies, when they're really like dedicated to certain people, um, then I feel like, Oh, that can't happen to me. So I was able to disassociate a little bit more than the mm-hmm. first one um, with, you know, my whole one year of wisdom that I've gained since watching the first one. <laughs> well, a, careful a, who you're friends with. Careful who you're friends yeah, with. Someone comes to kill them. True. They're going to come kill you. Good point. Maybe. Yeah. But so that's that's it for me. So anyway, gotcha. this is your favorite movie. So here we yeah, go. Uh, yeah, I I went opening weekend. Of course, I was there first. I was like, oh yeah, I got my friends to go with me, and I really liked it a lot first thing. And I went back Sunday night, same weekend, to see it again, and that confirmed um, my love for it. And I thought, you know, over the years, even grow, grows even stronger uh, for this one. But I I was there. Um, I had to like. I don't know what it was. Um, college campus tends to be one of my favorite settings for slasher movies. I don't know why. Just these beautiful old. They always film them at places that I never have visited or go. There's these like ancient, almost look like they should be in the UK college campuses, like Cambridge or something. But no, they're these just classic looking places that I, I tend to like a lot. Um, I think this one makes a bold decision that. It then chickens the franchise out later uh, for later ones for a bit. Um, it's it, it actually um, this one had a um, like a a messy like a the the script leaked for it um, during production and they had to change the killers and the ending for it. Um, well, Debbie Salt was always going to be the killer. But it was Jerry O'Connell and the roommate Hallie were also yeah. in on it. And they were these natural-born killers type people that traveled around. And they were videotaping everything they did and like trying to trying to be people like that to get caught. Um, and Mickey was Hallie's boyfriend. Same kind of film student guy. But he's the fraternity brother that gave her the letters. He got treed or whatever. When that yeah. happened, and he got killed during it out in the woods, not at the play thing or whatever. So then, I'm starting the conversation with the end of the movie, but of of what it was. And so then, they were trying to do this and pin it on Cotton Weary, who disappears in it. And they bring it out, and they're videotaping the whole thing. She kills um, Hallie and Jerry O'Connell because, you know, stupid motive. This is what I really want. And then... Gail shows up to help uh, Sydney uh, with Debbie Salt, and then I think Gail still gets shot and wounded, but Cotton Weary then freed, realizes that this whole confession is on videotape of them doing it, him being kidnapped, and Gail has been screwing him out. Of, I think they find out like Gail's been screwing him out of a lot of money or something. So he murders Gail. Like she dies oh, in the script, wow. and then Sydney and him battle to like the death, and they both die. That was the original ending of Scream Two that got leaked, and then they had to change it. Thank God they changed it. Yeah, it's gonna say they're just gonna end the franchise. Bold tra- He had an, his idea to? for the third one. Um, he no, he was going to continue. Yeah, and I knew then, there was a new third one, but and and they we'll talk about that when we get to the third one and the fourth one. Um, yeah. But um, but that's what it was, and I got a copy of that. It was after I'd seen the movie, but that was floating around the internet. 
Um, so that's when they got really tight with things and colored pages and stuff. So who lived? Nobody. Wow. Nobody. Yeah. An awful. So wait, wait, wait. How did Debbie? Well, I mean, how did Debbie recruit Mickey and Hall? Um, Hallie. Then it was the like- same. It was the same Mickey thing. Serial okay. killers in the night. It was same oh. that, but it was the two of them as a pair. All right, but how did Debbie recruit Mickey in this current movie? The internet. The internet. That was the internet. She talked. She funded yeah. his college. That's right. Yeah. Um, and she was yeah, just I'm using so him. Confused. I was like, she really? was using him as a helping hand. She was never. Yes. She was going to kill him, pin it on him, and she could walk away because no one knew who Debbie Salt was. Yeah, because she was had plastic surgery that even mm-hmm. Sydney didn't know, um, and Gail didn't know. Well, which she, was, yeah. again, she lost a bunch of weight too. We're we're mm-hmm. really yeah, led to believe she least- was. When she shows up, Sydney's like Mrs. Loomis, and that's where I'm like, Gail, if you were a reporter, would you have not have known what Billy Loomis's parents look like? She wasn't around research? them all the time because Billy, but, it wasn't. He was. was she was research. out of the picture. She was out of the picture. Big I time and digging, trying to get quotes from them and just yeah. yearbook photos. I would have thought Gail as a reporter. And, but you know, Gail's all full of herself at this time yeah. too. So and a, and Debbie. Debbie even made a point to say to Gail in the second movie, it was like, oh, I've seen you before, something like that. And Gail kind of blows her off. So mm-hmm. like right there, you kind of like local woman. That was yeah. funny. <laughs> so, so, I mean, Gail, like literally like Debbie was presenting herself to Gail and Gail was like, who cares about you? So, yeah, I don't think Gail would have immediately jumped to that conclusion of. Well, and this is this is also before casting like that became like an obvious clue because it's like nowadays been like what's Laurie Metcalf doing in this movie? But back yeah. then it wasn't like that. Um, and plus, she had only been on TV, so seeing her in a smaller role in a big movie would have been like, oh, okay, well she got, you know she's got lead roles on TV, but when you know yeah. it wasn't the crisscrossing nature that we have now, so it's like very different for the time and. and who the hell would have been like, oh, yeah, Aunt Jackie from Roseanne is the killer. Like, nobody's going to. Well, they no, threw enough, yeah. like, like Joshua Jackson being in there. Um, mm-hmm. Sarah Michelle got, well, Sarah Michelle Geller got whacked or yeah. whatever. Yeah, but um, he was kind of like, oh, maybe he'll pop back up. Why else would he just be in one scene at a classroom? Dawson's Creek. Dawson's Creek, Kevin Smith, or Kevin Williamson. That was yeah. literally, he put um, Michelle Williams and Halloween H2O, like right when they were shooting pilot and stuff for Dawson's Creek. Cause he yeah. thought she was great. Like he had them push her uh, for that. And those classroom scenes is a reshoot. The original classroom scene didn't have Sarah Michelle Geller or Josh Jackson. Oh. Um, yeah. And I don't even think Mickey was in it. I think he was not in the classroom scene in one of the original shoots. And it was in like a big auditorium and the reshoots in a small classroom. Um, but yeah, I so I guess since I'm the lover of this movie, um, beyond Courtney Cox's amazing hair in this movie, mm-hmm. um, I I honestly believe this is the. I'm not gonna say, I won't go. So, if it makes sense, I think this is the best directing job Wes Craven's ever done. Like his stuff here is top notch. He's got two, not only for the franchise but slasher in general, two all timer slasher chase scenes ever. I'm talking about Dewey and Gale in the sound booth, like film stuff yeah. and then the cop car shit is it still makes me think that the ghost face is going to jump up in the cop car when they're crawling oh through. i can't watch it still like it is one of the best things he's that is like ever done and like it's got these awesome sequences i love the kill the death of the of randy that sequence is great because that that takes a sequel and then makes me go okay anybody's gonna die it makes me believe dewey's gonna die dewey die like i thought dewey died like when mm-hmm. they killed i was like holy crap they're killing everybody like I thought Dewey was dead. I thought Gail could die. Sydney might die. Like, I was just, like, that flips you. That takes you for a loop. If they're going to kill everyone's favorite characters. At the time, Randy was probably the most popular character from Scream back then. And they they kill him off. And it's it's shocking. It's like, what? And then you go think they're going to go to the next scene. And they're talking about calling his mom to tell him he died. All that stuff. Like, what? And you can't believe it. You're stunned. And now you're back to square one where you were with the first movie, finally. Like, it's not here are people, they're all safe, hack off these new people. Um, so th- there's that. Um, it, that I think is strong because going down, what was Randy going to be? Was he just going to show up every movie, tell us some rules of like, when you're in the 10th one? And, <laughs> and like, they made us care about this pretty thin character that was only doing thin things because of 
Jamie Kennedy adding to it, but like he was going to wear out his welcome at some point, like yeah. just doing that. And it's great. He's got a great scene with Dewey where they talk about stuff. He's That's there enough so in the beginning. Wonderful. Uh, which was which was Back the and forth. Oh. the basis for the trailer, which was one of my favorite trailers of all time. Uh, was when they sit down to talk and they like dun, 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 dun. Oh, I love that trailer. I downloaded it on my computer, watched it a shitload back in the day. So there's that. I love, yeah, I, I am pro Randy death. I know people are like, sure, kill Randy. I'm like, can you, why do people want, want people to die in horror movies? Like, if you're going to kill I one need, of the main cast, I'm okay with it being Randy. It was, yeah. yeah. So there's, yeah, the Randy uh, thing. Um, I think the new characters introduced to this are the best batch of new fodder since Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors, where I actually give a shit about them. They're given time. They're given just as much character development as the returning people. You see them having conversations with each other. They're welcomed into this movie. Jerry O'Connell doing the I Think I Love You Top Gun thing. Iconic. Love it. That's great. Um, they just It just works out. Like I care about all the new characters. Cotton Weary elevates up from... Being that guy that when I first saw, I was like, "Is that the lead singer from Bush in the right. first movie?" <laughs> like, and and Leave Schreiber's really good in here because you just—he's got the Dewey thing. Like, is he just kind of a doofus or like really oh, he's diabolical? Like a, he's a straight up fame whore yeah. in the sequel, which you know. He's like, he's like, get home, Diane Sawyer, and like just the weird <laughs> things that Leave Schreiber does. Like, he's really, really good in this movie. Um, I just. I like it all. I, I just like the way it swoops around. It's got the the odd college stuff. Like she's living an actual life with this stuff happening. The opening scene taken out of He Knows You're Alone. Pretty effective. Greg, you mentioned last time you have some comments on that one. Yes, I do. Because um, so, it is nuts. It is, it is well, nuts. Well, that's the thing. Well, okay. Here's where it's like, let's look at the reality of the situation and really, because I love that scene. It traumatized me. It's mm-hmm. fun. It's a party. But like, okay, this is a real, okay. First of all, it says outside of the theater, it's like a sneak preview. So they're all like invited guests to this movie. Mm-hmm. With that being said, this movie is based on a true story in this universe. So it is a true story that happened where a lot of like teens were murdered brutally. And now you're bringing this like, kind of over the top like campy recreation of this actual tragic event a year after this tragic event happened and you're giving out the actual killer mask to everyone and letting and fake knives to like everything like imagine going to like like a Dahmer movie and then like giving you like food shaped like brain like it's just it was the sneak preview it wasn't they weren't going to do it for all the showings it was the sneak preview but but the fact that they did that for this like true event and like people are like up in arms and nowadays with like the Dahmer thing being like you're doing this thing on this horrible heinous killer and and you didn't consult families this is one year after everybody's dead and you're giving out the mask to everyone mm-hmm. like you would think in this universe there would need some distance from it or like this mask may not be like sold or might be like frowned upon but it's like they're encouraging it and they have like they even rigged the dang ghost face on the on the yeah. wires to fly across the theater it is such a spectacle and you realize like this only happened a year ago and you're like monetizing it and you're creating a party around a true life event that I'm really fascinated to know what like the, the the true crime era like would have been about during this time like I'm trying to think about like, there are bachelorette parties that aren't even this wild um, <laughs> it's like they tried to do Rocky Horror Picture Show but for like an actual true hey yeah this is so great all these people died they well true crime was so like hard, hard copy and inside edition at this time that was what true crime was which Basically. you would think they would have done an episode on like the Woodsboro murders mm-hmm. on hard copy or something. But then I feel like the news would have covered like, um, well, they did would have covered it because somebody got murdered in right. this movie. Theater. Mm-hmm. Conveniently enough, like, I mean, you wonder how many ghost masks they had. Well, I mean, like the killers who probably went to that premiere and snatched them all up. And be like, we got back <laughs> up, everybody. Well, they, <laughs> like, I did notice this time, when they're at the when Jada Pinkett's at the popcorn line, this girl's yeah. like, I'm not going back in there. You know, this happened to real people. I'm like, why'd you even go? Like, what? Yes. You, were you, did you show up to get popcorn and go home? Like, what? I'm did, more concerned well, with. 
How did they know every dialogue that happened in real life? How do they know what Casey said on the phone? Everyone yes. who was there died. How do they yeah, know what? Because we saw the first beautiful, movie. Beautiful Luke Wilson, a.k.a. Stab Stupid. Billy, said to Sydney in the hallway. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure Sydney, Dewey and them, originally gave their to- stories to Gail. How they but then what she did after is what they're pissed. Yeah, she she recreated it probably too exact or but but either way, I just find it very funny that at this sneak preview, and first of all, as somebody who's been to many of uh, theatrical event and like uh, and to exclusive showings and premieres and sneak previews. There is no talking ever allowed. Right. <laughs> this is a free-for-all. And not only that, when they leave the movie to go get popcorn and doing the thing, it is like a sold-out crowd. And people are still running through like the 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 uh, the hallways and the lobby wearing the mask. And it's a sold-out crowd and people are showing up late. Like, what is this? It's pandemonium. It, it mm-hmm. really is. It feels more like the barn party in Scream 4, <sighs> um, which we'll, we'll get to eventually. But like... That makes more sense, but the energy at like a like a screamathon, stabathon is more suited for this. But when you really think about what they're at, none of it makes any sense. But I love it nonetheless. And I, I, think I think they're. Yeah, I think it's sort of trying to be a social commentary on like how people get into true story or like are obsessed with the murder because they cheer at the kill of someone they just met in a movie already. Like, and I think it's meant to be like a social commentary on and overdoing it on people who like get really into it. And then adding the fact that it's a true story and doing that. Like, I think you're seeing that too. And I think there is a bit of a social commentary trying to be presented in this zany theater that's going up as well. I mean, it's uncomfortable to watch before Maureen even gets killed. It's like uncomfortable because I know me when I watch horror movies in theaters, I do cheer at certain deaths, but Mm. usually not the innocent victims, to be real. Like usually I only cheer like in hostel or something when like you're finally at the end and you're like, yes, we're going to die. And you're like, I cheer at like the killers getting killed. I rarely ever cheer so openly at like an an early kill or something because i'm always like no 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 i know it's coming but i'm scared and these people just were eating it up but it literally again one year later and they're friends of people it just seems it it, there's a coldness to it when you Mm -hmm. reflect on the actual context of what's happening because this isn't just a fun slasher movie this is a recreation of this horrific event that took place in Woodsboro. So, which I mean, yeah. they, they Casey's tr- parents were there. Could you imagine if they're like, "Oh my gosh, I know we're getting paid by the movie companies, but and also would they have not gotten such a huge lawsuit that they would stop making the the stab movies because of someone dying at a movie where they're handing out the ghost face." It's costume. free press. It's free press. Oh. Um, but no. there, would be, there would be a delay, I think, in the next one. But right. they <laughs> get out those stab movies. Well, the thing is, too, like, I the I, there's a seed planted here because when you're making Scream 2, you obviously know you have a franchise potential. And I know that Kevin Williams's idea for the third one is he wanted to show the kind of world that the movie of Stab would create in being out there in it. And I think this is kind of slowly introduce well, slowly quickly introducing us into what potentially people see of that but yeah i mean i get that it's like a heightened reality and all that and there is a certain level of like contrivedness to the the opening i mean they do they do manage to get away with a lot of it because everybody has a mask so that's not very weird so mm-hmm. you can go undetected pretty easily but like the convenience that like he would end up putting his cheek against the stall and how long did the killer wait in the stall for him to go to a bathroom and to get that knife perfectly placed to go in his cheek. It's just, I mean, again, I couldn't go into a bathroom stall for months to a year (laughs) seeing that movie because I was worried knives were just going to start coming through. But the fact that on the first try manages to get it in his cheek that's some planning and the odds that like they would go to the bathroom so soon in the movie. Like rarely do I ever sit down for a movie and to go, I need to go to the bathroom. Like when I saw avatar recently, it took me 45 minutes, even though I had to pee when it started, I still waited at least 45 minutes. And this dude couldn't even wait for Casey's death in the movie. to like leave. So well, he didn't so- want to- 
he was pissed. Yeah. He was literally pissed about the Sandra Bullock <laughs> bullshit. So he had to go piss. There you go. So, so I mean, there's just certain like aspects of it that, it, but again, that's a testament to Wes Craven as a director mm-hmm. to make it work. Because when you look at it on paper, you go, this does not work. Like how, how, why, no. Wait a and minute. He made it work. You're right. But like, I never even thought about that. The one shot getting it through. How do you know that they're right there? And where was that couple specifically targeted? Because how did he know to go yeah, they, back they were, to what seat? They got I the tickets this? from the killers. Yeah, they were given. They were gi- given were the they tickets. Assigned seats because it's not usually assigned seats. So how do you find people in a crowd? That's true. Back then, partying. Yeah. Well, they were the only two black people in that well, theater. And, like, yeah, there's so. not much. Yeah, you're right. There's not much diversity. There's nobody there. Well, and, and the football uh, catch guy. Well, and they sit down and then, you know, he takes the place of the one. So, yeah. And he knows you're alone. It's funny because it's an it's an emptier theater and the girl goes to the bathroom and is kind of freaked out um, and comes back to her seat. And her friend is like already dead next to her. And then like she gets stabbed in the back from behind the seat oh, with the kill. So that's how it happens. And he knows you're alone. The 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 cinematic debut of Tom Hanks. Uh, he knows you're alone. So. Um, but that, well, that, that terrifies me too, because I was scared to get stabbed in the back at a movie theater. I do always like look around and check like backs because of movies like this. Um, I know that they had to set up the world in the movie theater to be so wild to disrupt from her Maureen actually getting stabbed, yeah. like doing that. But it's so that in, in that universe, her death actually makes complete sense. But I just don't understand with how many employees were working there that you could hire three people just to crank ghost face on like things <laughs> and then have yeah. like ticket taker ushers. Yeah, not only that, they had to take their if you watch the beginning it's the William have, Castle Theater, they have their tickets and then they exchange their tickets at the box office for the other ticket, which then they take to another person yeah. to get into this thing. Yeah. Because they have like a little postcard and then they, but they're still waiting in line. Like, why aren't they yeah. just all showing a thing and going in? It's very weird. There's a whole weird chain of staff in this movie that is peculiar <laughs> to me and how movie theaters work, but there's no security and there's nobody actually like, calming the audience down going movies starting like please silence your voices well cell phones weren't a thing but still like what's happening here yeah um, but i love it i love that <laughs> opening um but it is wild when you think that it is for a series of murders that took place a year ago and the fact that they turned this movie around that just like that book they gail got another book out they have a movie based on that book which you can run those concurrently with production. I mean, oh, absolutely, that it. that is true. But they wasted no time on going true crime murders. Let's make this a movie. Hey, Scream Two was out one year later after Scream becoming a hit. So, but they wouldn't yeah. have known that the killer was calling and asking questions because everyone died. Sydney got the, Sydney got called and asked questions. She did yeah, in the middle of the movie, yeah. Right. Yeah, but how do they know that Casey also got asked those questions though? Right. Like, like, well, they and like, like Gail then projected on it, being like, "Oh, Sydney got asked questions. I bet Casey went through the same thing." Yeah. Well, you know, they did. The killers did talk about that stuff when they were yeah. confessing to Sydney at the end. Um, so maybe, she and that just, is when you, what you think of a scream. What's your watch a few movie, movie. Take yeah, take a few notes. Oh, that's true. Well, and also we're forgetting, too, that like, well, no, I guess everything happened really quickly. But in movies, they can only show so much of a moment in time. Mm -hmm. And you have to realize that maybe there was more said that in real life that got edited out, like Mm -hmm. in the in the true aspect of the movie um, in the first scream. um, You can think of it like. We only got to see the, the the witty banter, but maybe all the <laughs> um, all the um, exposition actually did happen in real life. It just got cut for the movie. True. And I mean, while we're on it with the stab movie, which is the fun stuff in the background for this that that's happening, and you know the Tory Spelling joke comes to fruition yes. and everything else. Um, so like with horror, like the first sequel in a franchise always feels like 
more of a template for what the series is than the yeah. original. The original is always like this outlier. Uh, with Scream, it's the stab movies that's like introduced here because the next the next movie has a stab set. It's, it takes place or the production of a stab movie. And the fourth one features like celebration of those movies, the marathon. And then Scream 5 would be like a legacy sequel with those movies. Those stab exists in everything but the first movie and those are kind of what people talk about through the other screams is these stab movies and um that are now a a thing which isn't in the first one so i've always found like that that's the thing that makes that's pre- the the president and scream thing that makes the sequels all like the first one an outlier because there is no stab to go off there's just other horror movies i guess but that becomes just stab for like so, a lot of the others should we talk about stab 2 during this session or in the third movie when it doesn't happen either like they just skipped an entire movie and went to stab well, it three. happened and then now they're making stab three like <laughs> but i don't return I to woodsboro I, just, I guess i don't remember yeah that's yeah. true like they 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 created a stab two but you don't really mm-hmm. like, did they ever talk about it Scream three is stab three so then yeah, Stab 2 happened in between the events of Scream 2 and Scream 3 for Scream 3 to be about Stab 3. Uh, these movies are fascinating. Well, this stab- one happened in Stab 2 unless it's just this movie. So it's like, but, with that being said, um, but with that being said, the Stab movies are what happens to most horror franchises in real life that Scream, I still mm-hmm. believe, does not fall victim to, where... Even though they stray a little bit in terms of tone and whatnot over the franchise, there is still a level of thought and care and depth to every Scream movie that the Stab movies are lacking, which is true for horror franchises as a whole, as we've seen with like, I know what you did last summer in Urban Legends, where the third one just is such a train wreck of a thing, or like so much of a departure from the quality of even the first two that like Scream 3, I think tonally is a drastic departure from the first two movies. I still find it an enjoyable movie, but we're not talking about right right now. But I think that the Stab movies are rushed like a typical horror movie would that Scream still has thought with. Because Stab 2, we can assume, was based off the the Windsor College murders. And Stab 3 is the first time they're making one without anything to base it on so that's why i think we go with the third one that's why we do stab three because that stuff hasn't happened but it's Um, like it's dude's house so maybe it's actually it's like game of thrones before game of thrones went and did stuff without books but that is believable because rather than say like oh let's create a stab like oh let's do stab two in Scream 3, they already, we already did that. Mm-hmm. So because in the second one, it was like the first one with the second movie. And then the third one with the third movie because they didn't want to repeat the second movie. Right. But in real life, that would happen. They run out of source material. They're going to make a new movie. And then I'm sure everybody who experienced these true events are going to be like, okay, now they're just making shit up about <laughs> right. us. What is Alexa happening? Alexa is my name. Hey. Like now, now. Now they no longer own their identities, which I'm kind of shocked too that the names stayed the same. Yeah, in the that is something that I don't think they would have gotten away with to be able to carry a franchise for Sydney to have actually had a movie. Sydney mm-hmm. just seems a little far fetched, um, but I appreciate it. But it is very interesting to know that they basically had their identities stolen by mass media consumption right. and everybody a part of this original franchise who was still survived or original Woodsboro murders who survived it now are only viewed as movie characters, which right. is such a crazy concept to think that now Sydney is no longer teen girl from Woodsboro. She is this fictitious character that now is going on a whole separate journey that is somehow linked to her. So I, that actually never really thought that much about it. But when you think about what Sydney has to go through and everybody now making up fake aspects of her life for the sake of entertainment and horror entertainment, that's really shitty for her. <laughs> that it's like doubled down, like it's doubled down that she really loses her autonomy in the public eye, which I but guess. It, yeah. I feel like in this movie though, they try to show that, 
instead of like this is the one movie where we start with her like I feel like she's taken ownership of this stuff until it starts happening again. Like she's yes. she's having fun with the crank calls. She knows how to handle it. She's doing her stuff. And even to the end sequence, when everything's revealed, she's strong about it. Mm-hmm. She talks shit to them. She's ready to fight. She's ready. She's and it's she's different all than, alone again. She's yeah. completely alone, but she's okay and she's yeah. not like it's different happen. than the first movie, her yeah. in the finale, which is which is great. Um that I like, and then yeah. I, yeah. If there was a I season like two of Dahmer, could you imagine if they did a season two of Dahmer and then just made up stuff about the victims' families and like <laughs> how they continued with their life, which is basically what you were talking about with like yeah. stab three? You just take their identities and make up stuff. Like I don't think you could at that point. There would be I don't a lawsuit. Think- yeah, I, I mean, there would have to be because not only that, they're literally returned to Woodsboro. They're using the actual town name. It's like this poor town is just getting massacred in the media that like I feel like it would become, a, I mean, Woodsboro really would. You know, that's what, well, they do talk about that in four then how Scream like kind of how it became like a touristy town almost. But mm-hmm. I feel like it's kind of downplayed a little bit more than I think it would be. If these movies really were as big as they were as a franchise, Woodsboro would have to reinvent itself basically as a tourist trap of a, of a town um, because you couldn't live there without people coming to be like, Oh, this is where it all happened. But then by, but then it's like people going to see the Amityville house. Yes. Salem witch trials. It's like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, witches, great. Yeah, All these die. women died for no reason here. Were murdered, but oh, woo, let's have a parade. Also, Imagine if they had that a year after the Salem witch trials. A movie was made, but like the <laughs> movie didn't exist. Thank God. Otherwise, <laughs> I mean, but like that's it's just crazy to think. I mean, okay. To be fair, Lifetime does that with true crime like they mm-hmm. they there is a murder that happens in real life and lifetime gets that movie out within a year um a mm-hmm. lot of the time so lifetime so it's it's the are the stab movies actually lifetime theatrical releases <laughs> <laughs> there you go oh my goodness that I, I i never really thought about it but that is what well tori spelling i mean she's oh starring in it oh my like... gosh there you go. So Seven basically, Tori Spelling, Luke Wilson, David Schwimmer, Heather, Heather Graham. Graham. We'll the find out more. And a, and a guy who drove a stagecoach for one episode of Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman. <laughs> oh, that's I love that show. I have it all on DVD. Love Dr. Quinn. I had to explain. I, I recently, my son and I watched Live and Let Die because he's wanting to watch Bond movies through from yes. the beginning. And I was like, Jane Seymour, she had this show I watched on Saturday night. It's called Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman. <laughs> That it was huge. The woman doesn't age. Um, no, and uh, there was Sully on that show. The white guy playing a Native American. It was, yeah. And there's the dentist that uh, was an alcoholic. He drank like the mouthwash or something. Yep. To get yep. Watch Dr. Uh, I uh, during COVID, quick tangent. I do own all of Dr. Quinn on DVD, the full box set with oh. all movies and everything. I was so close during COVID to start a podcast where I do <laughs> a rewatch of every episode of Dr. Quinn and do an analysis of it, like um, like the the Gilmore guys did with the Gilmore Girls, and like first time watching it, even though it wouldn't be my first time watching Dr. Quinn, I almost did that. Like just started a thing where I broke down every episode of Dr. Quinn. Dr. Greg podcast, man. Pretty much. (laughs) I, I was, I'm very tempted to, I still might do it. Depends on like how my depression. Oh, that's great. But, um, but that is on my list of things to do is do a full rewatch. But if I'm going to do a full rewatch, I'm going to do a podcast with it. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll dig into the history of some of the episodes too, because that show Really, it was insightful. Anyway, back to Scream. Um, I wish Jane Seymour was in a Scream movie. That'd be great. She will be. She would be good. Anyway, um, where were we on Scream? So Stab 3 is basically... So Stab movies are essentially Lifetime movies because Lifetime pops out a true crime scripted movie within a year of it happening. So... Now the stab movies, I can uh, they are they are justified and they work in this universe to me. It's just there you go. They've never been that popular like the stab movies have mm-hmm. um, lifetime movies. So wow, never would have thought I would have made that comparison, but here we are. Um, do um do you guys enjoy the cleverness of 
have you ever picked up on a lot of the stuff with Mickey on a rewatch? How he's got a camera in hand a lot of the time. Yes. And then he's always defending sequels. Yep. <laughs> and it um and he's always trying to turn someone to someone else. Yeah. What do you think about what do you think about Derek? Or or when he's talking to Sydney about Derek in the hospital, he's like, yep. Why would why would he have gone back in? And then he's like, What do you guys think about Randy? But like there's a there's a cleverness to Mickey all throughout that I, I think is kind of fun that I never noticed going through the whole time. And he's kind of a guy, he's there and then you forget about him, but then you don't when he opens the mask like, Oh yeah, that fucking guy wasn't around. That's right. Like he was kind of like a cross between Stu and Randy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, because he kind of he was kind of like unhinged, but he was also kind of the movie buff type. There's so you put the two together mm-hmm. and then you go, he can't be the killer. It's too obvious. <laughs> but like his performance in the in the finale, even like I believe that he believes that. I even do though too. it's as stupid as it is, and then the mom shoots him, it's like, yeah, wanna... no one's buying that shit. And you're like, oh, right. okay, okay. So this movie's smart like it sold me on that like oh this guy is a psycho and he went like and then that whole thing with the trials we were talking about trials like cause it's all about the trial um Man, but i love when he's the one that comes back because mm-hmm. they're never dead and yes gail and sydney just lay into him and cotton's mm-hmm. almost like scared like what the crap yep. so that's when you know that you know sydney and gail are mm-hmm. just way stronger than cotton altogether he literally is just a kitten yeah that once his 15 minutes of fame and more and a TV series talk show, whatever that's coming later. Yep. Well, I mean, you, I mean the, the screen movies, if we can find a theme is people wanting fame out of these, like either for being a killer or <clears throat> being a victim of it all. Except like Sydney, she wants it to go away and just keeps she, coming nope, back. She accepts her fate as David Warner says in oh. scream four. Yeah. Did they just talk she, she about that in the sequel embraced. too? When she's doing the stage thing, like she accepted her fate. She could see what was coming and she knew it. And then Mm -hmm. she was, people thought she was crazy, but really she just accepted it. Well, it's funny. Like David Warner in the one scene weird, you know, he's somebody. He's in one scene there. I mean, he'd be in Titanic the next year. uh, But he, and you know, I knew him from as a kid. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. He was the scientist that made the ooze. <laughs> but, you know, he's a big actor. But the funny thing is here, that's who Wes Craven wanted to play Freddy Krueger. And they oh, finally wow. got to work together here. So that's why he's here for the one scene. Like, they finally Aww. got to work together. But he, that's who he reached out to to play Freddy Krueger in the original Nightmare on Elm Street. That's who he envisioned wow. to play him. Um, so that's huh. an interesting thing. The, the play stuff with Sydney's kind of weird. It's kind of the weird thing in this movie. Um, but it adds from scares. And I always love when the killer's around there and then you find out that Portia de Rossi and Rebecca Gayhart are in this production. And they're like, what? You're like, are they? Are we supposed to believe they're they suspects? They really wanted us to believe it was them. That there was a chance. Because there's like- two of them. Yeah. There's two of them. There's a blonde and a brunette. There's two of them. So like, oh, we're going to do two girls this time. And I love the scene where they look like deer in headlights yeah. at the... the um. The, the sorority house when Ed, all the stuff goes down and Dewey runs in, which Dewey in this one, uh, great with the, uh, uh, the the broken arrow theme that's just kind of geniusly reused here. But in this movie, they kind of add the thing of like, do you think Dewey's really got that limp? Like maybe he is behind it again. Like the way they recycle and make us buy into ideas from the first one again is unbelievable. Like there's... The way that they make me think the main characters can die again. The way I, I'm like, I'm not sure about Gail or Dewey. Dewey you know, has like, this one scene where he's given a really good look where it's like so suspicious. Yeah. Like, What's going on? But then when he's doing the talk with Randy, I oh, love yeah. it. He's like, you're right. If you're Let's a suspect, then I'm a suspect. <laughs> I yeah. love it. And yes. I was like, well, it's not them two. Come on. Yeah. And his little Clark or his little Rhett Butler, Clark Gable mustache throughout mm-hmm. the movie. It's very close to that. I don't know if he just can't grow a full mustache or what, but I love it. Yeah, I think that's the joke with Dewey is he can't really... Yeah. I really... love it so much. It's so adorable. And I love watching him and Courtney Cox fall in love. I know. Oh, yeah. I, I I believe it. As weird as it is, I believe their love. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, it, it it actually was real because they fell yeah. in love in real life because of these movies. So, yes. um, yeah, I, 
it is an absurd movie when you think about it, though. And there's a lot of like kind of contrivances. But again, a testament to Wes Craven as a director mm-hmm. where you don't really care or pay attention to it. It moves. You buy that you live in the universe. So you allow it to happen. And just the the setups and payoffs are just so great. The The way things play the choreography through each scene of terror in this movie is such at such a heightened expertise level that that's like selling you, taking you from the next to the next to the next. There is a, there is a mystery kind of thing that gets dropped, but I think it was only meant to get attention where they're killing in the same names of the first one. And then once they figure that out, but I'm like, what are they going to do? Like go to every, uh, were they supposed to like protect the Dean after that, that nobody knows who the hell the Dean is, you know, because the principal would have been the next kill. Um, and then what the cameraman, like, so there's the cameraman too, who wears the boots. He's got the boots too. So does Liev Schreiber when he's walking down the steps. Yeah. But Um, this cameraman's the voice of reason. He's like, why are we hanging out here? Everyone's getting murdered. Which mm-hmm. good point. Also, if you know that people are getting murdered again and it's happening again, would you not carry a weapon on you? I don't care yeah. if it's like a couple of pocket knives, maybe some leather things around uh like or at least pepper spray. Veins. Yeah, something. Yeah. I've been um, reading your book. I don't cameraman doesn't last too long. Like Um Well, that's the other thing too about this movie is I mean it's not it's it's funny, but like at this point, Gail is reached a certain level of success, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. She's pretty big at this point. So it is kind of funny that that's like her crew. Yeah. Like, well, I think she flew in. Have a little bit more. I think she flew into town and he's outsourced. I Got think it. that's sort of the idea is that he's not typical. Like, she flew out there to be there because that's not where she's housed at anymore. Well, you know those little towns and their media crew vans, that white van that Randy was murdered in? Yeah. Those doors, those side doors do not open quietly. So if Randy's looking around for people and they show the up above shot, there's no one around, that's great. Well, that boombox didn't come around till he's <laughs> Cottonmouth kings. Come on. If yeah. I hear the dang door, I'd think, aha, something. Because and we know it was already open when he gets snatched. So Mrs. Loomis killed Randy. We know that. Yeah. Yeah. We know she killed Randy. Um, oh, yeah. Who did Mickey kill then? Like, I can't think of any. He was at the movie theater. Okay. Yep. Mickey was in the movie theater. In the movie theater. Um, Mickey killed um, Sarah Michelle Geller because yep. uh, he's videotaping her. Um, and then, I don't know. I don't um, think Mrs. Loomis would have been that spry to have killed Sarah Michelle Geller either. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, Mickey took a beating during that. He kill. was at the party, left the party. Yeah, probably came Who back. Who was driving the car then, Mrs. Loomis? You think? Bill, no, the car was um, Mickey because he had the head injury. Oh yeah, jeez. Well, I'm still mad to this day that Hallie, like, it's just the way that, like, after they, after all that suspense, of crawling over the killer in that cop car, mm-hmm. and then they don't just like. I get Sydney's curiosity, but I just, I, I, I'm still mad at them for like leaving that gap of distance between both of them yeah. for her eye. It still it still bothers me a lot to this day. Uh, gotcha. I always I always feel super bad for like uh Jerry O'Connell. Like poor bastard. Like he was genuine. Like he feels like a character like big du- the dumb jock guy I shouldn't like, but I like enjoy him in this movie a lot. Um and yeah, so like and just like when that happened at the end I'm like Hmm. There's like a lot of Mister. Like, is it the boyfriend again? They really and it wasn't. He genuinely gets shot and killed, and then they prop Gail Weathers out to make you go, "What? Oh, yeah. nope." But they have a lot of fun with that in the end, and then they get all theatrical with the stage and stuff, which makes for a fun battle in the finale. And, uh, but and why was Cotton just hanging around the university still? He's like, "Oh, I found Dewey in the back," and uh, I you found know, Dewey. Just been out here waiting for someone from the media to come and talk to me and then oh well, freaking aunt jackie isn't as big as she uh, said she was what the heck cotton was just were, accused and put, reporter he was just accused of being a suspect so maybe he's trying to find it out himself to prove himself innocent once again be a hero yeah. and get more fame um which i i do i always love his delivery when they're at the police station um he's like you believed me for a whole year ago you're not starting to have character doubts now are you? I was like, man, <laughs> I love his suspiciousness of this. Like, I just, Shriver's so good here. Um, 
But yeah, I yeah, I really like Cotton Weary adding this and this the thought of like throwing him in and making him a part of this group in the second movie is mm-hmm. it's pretty good and giving him making him not this not quite you know he's innocent of the murder but being a devious bastard no he's not so um yeah I do yeah I just like this whole scenario good I love this follow up how it plays uh a lot I just yeah I enjoy Scream 2 so much and leaves good with a gun like one shot got Debbie Salt in the throat. Mm. Yeah. Like, that's a pretty good aim. Yeah. yeah. Well, they always did that thing. I hate fucking, like, um, people fall and then, like, <coughs> like, why are you coughing? What? You didn't drown. Did you hit your back too? Like, I, your lungs are back here. You get hit your lungs and lose your breath as like, an asthmatic. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's how you find How it do you really... find out someone is asthmatic? You shoot them and then you see if they cough. It's like when you do a belly flop yeah. and you can lose your breath. You're like, oh. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I mean, I, 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 I've never been shot before. I've been stabbed before, but I've never been shot before. So oh, I don't geez. know. But, um, so I don't know. I, I'm, uh, you know, I'm forgiving of the way pe- I've become more and more forgiving of how like people die in horror movies or people like make stupid mistakes. Like um, we didn't really mention in like Scream One where like Sydney makes fun of the horror movies, which you did say, but yep. uh, she does them. But like, when you're being chased, mm-hmm. you're not thinking clearly. No, that's what people, I always, yeah. I always hate people like that. People are so dumb in horror movies. Like, what would you do in that situation? I would freeze like, probably. I would you, freeze and be like, oh, this is it. I I laughed when I was like getting stabbed. I was oh laughing. <laughs> I was like, is this happening right now? Bucket list. I literally said that. (laughs) Well, that was when I was getting, like, my hand ripped open when he bit me. But, like, I was like, I I was laughing the whole time. It was, it's just that week your parents were gone and you were hanging out. No, No, this is, this is when I lived in Ghana. Um, I found it funny. Anyway, um, I just, it just, when, when, what? When like traumatizing things happen to you, or when I've been chased down the street with a knife, like <laughs> I just find it funny. <laughs> Maybe because I've lived, I like I'm still alive that I can laugh about it now. But like in the moment, I go, "Is this like?" I think I've seen too many horror movies that when like real scary things do like happen in my life, <laughs> not that they happen often, but like they have, <sighs> and um, I just kind of find it funny that like. Oh, this is like a movie. That's scary. <laughs> like, oh no. Like I, <laughs> like I just go into like I have to run mode, but I don't pay attention. Like I don't that's so, why I think yeah, I don't you, freeze, I run. When you write your horror movie, there's gonna be a guy who gets stabbed and he laughs about it. Because it happened to me. I laugh because like, <laughs> people write, I, you know, there is uh, a there's a in in my favorite Friday the thirteenth movie. There's a guy who gets killed, and he's yelling, "Oh, he's killing me! He's killing me!" <laughs> and it's the weirdest thing. And then the director said he put it in there because he read a story about a guy getting murdered in the street, yelling. His way of yelling for help was like, "He's killing me! He's killing me!" He threw that in the movie because yep. it was something he read about in wow. real life. And I'm like, "Okay." How did you tell people? I guess help. Yeah. He's, I, I, what's happening people- right now? People react in weird ways to things and you don't. And honestly, like in real life, things are more absurd than movies. So when you see something that happened in real life in a movie, like when you watch documentaries and or see found footage, you're like, I can't believe that happened. And if you put it in a movie, people will be like, that's bullshit. No. And that's what happens. We actually have to like change things for movies to make them more believable than what right. really actually happens. Well, that's why I think is a there's like a, a sort of that's I take this way off here. That's sort of the brilliance I think of like a David Lynch because he does things how they he makes it work because some of his stuff is so weird. But I'm like, it's almost weird because it feels natural and normal yeah. in a way that with with some of David Lynch's stuff. Um, but yeah, that's that's one thing. And also too, when people do, I'm like, it's a movie. It has to do this to work. Like. They have to, they're not in real time. They're not like things have to speed up process. And like some people just, I don't think movies are for them. 
like a lot of time. Like yeah. maybe they're just not a thing for you. I mean, I think you know, watch Big Brother or something that happens in real like real time condensed or something like. But like, I don't. If you can't understand that, oh, it's shorthand because this is a one hour forty five minute thing, and it's only that way because it's a needed shorthand, not because it's poor writing or something. Like thing A needs to get to thing B, and like in this amount of time, like. It's so funny how people just can't understand that. Like you're watching a movie, you're not watching a reality. There's yeah. a difference. And that's a testament to directors who can manage to make that feel organic because right. movies inherently can't be organic because they only have so much time to do a lot of work. And Wes Craven managed to do that with these screen movies where they feel organic. But when you really talk about it, you go, what the hell is happening? And, <laughs> Which- and that, yeah. A lot of his films, like these, are his most like tight, concise, and like lay like not very goofy movies. Even Scream Three, like a lot of his movies go off the rails in like Act Three with things. Yeah. And and there's a lot of there's a there's a lot of looseness and goofiness to many of his movies. Um, but that is the Scream ones are like his most tight, fluid, um, like I don't know, I want to say mature, but just like just like really some of his best work even in the ones that are would be considered lesser even you even your personal favorite least favorite scream probably is better directed than like deadly friend like exactly you know like that's that's where he's at here this is him at his best like yeah yeah and that's what i mean by this franchise kind of they all stand alone films where like other ones you just feel like they they forced it because they just they needed to make another one for the Mm -hmm. sake of franchise this it's still even if it kind of goes off the rails a little bit there's still it looks like there was time and money and like a certain level of care invested and that's true because of like a lot of it has to do with the cast i mean a lot of this we have to thank wes craven but like nev campbell courtney cox david arquette yeah they made they made these characters to a point that we love them that in other franchises by the third movie they're like i don't care if you live or die and now i'm like they can't kill anybody like because of who plays them, the actors who are in these movies, you don't want to see them die because you fall in, like you you love them, mm-hmm. and um, and unlike other horror movies where they just like I mean um, the Saw movies, there's reoccurring characters through all that, and I don't remember half of it. I love the movies, but like I don't well, give a crap in the Saw that. movies, you could be like a two line background character in the second one. You're the lead by the fifth one, like. <laughs> You might you, like that. Literally happens in the Saw movies. Like yes, there, it does. there Which are people. Yeah, I, I love it. But there will be I people just, like I think the guy who's the lead in four had like two lines in the second one, and like showed up in the third one for a brief second, and then he's the lead of the fourth one. Yep. Same with the fifth one, Scott Patterson, or is it? Yeah, he, he's like yeah, Luke Gaines. Yep, side side character for a bit in four, and there he is, front and center in five. Like it's. It's funny how those work. And I love them for that. I love the soap opera drama, the 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 retroactive continuities, the tight the the focus on continuity. That's the brilliance of the Saw movies and the Fast and Furious ones cuz they care about their continuities, going through all the craziness to get around to make it all work. Yep. Agreed. Keep Agreed. being weird. Keep being weird. Uh that's what I like about this. But um Scream Back to Scream kills in this one. Um Definitely some more uh, up up and gore because like that pipe through the guy's head in the car Worst crash. Worst detectives ever. I'm sorry. If I have someone protecting me, can they have at least 1% John Wick skills? One dude couldn't even get out of the car without getting like taken over by a, a freaking college dude, apparently. So it's like, all right, you couldn't even get out of the car and like put up a fight? Yeah. That's all. Stunt yeah. double on the, or whatever, the guy that was playing the other one that's like, a, I guess he's actually a stunt double, I think. Okay, he jumped on the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least he's trying. (laughs) He's trying. trying. I was like, worst protectors ever. That 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 is given the number of deaths, you would think they would like pull in a little bit Mm -hmm. stronger security than just like we got patrol on you. Don't worry. Like their coats are intimidating. Don't yeah. Right. You'll be fine. The uh the bullet that hits Jerry O'Connell always gets me. It's like oh Jesus. Like it's like blue blood (laughs) just. It's like a big hole in him. And uh, Randy, of course, has to look horrific. We have to get hit in the gut with that one. Like, yep. has to look horrific. Um, yep. And Sarah Michelle Gellar, poor Bobby the yep. Vampire Slayer, one of the greatest badasses of all time, dies in every horror movie she's in. 
Like it's just like, man. Uh, yeah. You count Scooby Doo as a horror movie? They're solving scary okay. mysteries. Yeah, it's true. Horror adjacent. <laughs> Scooby Doo. Um, but yeah, no, and then there's that little Marisol Nichols cameo right in there as well. That um, this is funny. Um, not a cameo. That was probably just the biggest role she got at the time. <laughs> they say cameo, but. Yeah. Um, there's that, but yeah, and I like her sequence. It's you know, and it's not quite Drew Barrymore's, but it's it's fun with her watching TV, and it feels gener- it feels genuine. The sober sister and having her in the scene, the film class scene, makes you go, "Oh, she's cool. I like her." Da, yeah. da, da. And then you know, so I mean, two scene person, very effectively done. Like I said, the new characters in this are handled quite well. I really like uh, what they do them uh, do with them. They don't feel like just fodder for so they feel like there's a purpose and they feel like they're i feel a real danger with them and don't want to see them go so and that's a testament to sarah michelle geller as well who just that present but she wasn't even supposed to be in the other scene but like we can't have this star and not stick her in the rest of the movie right (laughs) right kind of what happened with her but but yeah they it just it was everything kind of came to be the casting of it the writing of it the directing of it it just it just all works in these movies that you just don't always really see and i and i and i think the first two do it the best the third one again i will defend the third one eventually when we do that um i think the only one that i struggle with the casting is four that's the only gotcha. one. Everything else I'm fine with casting for. I like, but I still to this day struggle with the cast. Um, it doesn't feel as natural and as united as two or as one, two, even three. I will stand by three. Well, um, I, th- I think what the thing is, like what they want to do in four, they accomplish with five. Like, I feel like they're, yes. Agreed. That's, that's kind of, but we'll get to those. Um, yeah, we'll get to that. We're, we're well, in that- Matthew Lillard was in the background. He was at the party scene, which was just for fun. Was just for fun slash he was dating Nev Campbell at the Mm -hmm. time, I guess. But they were thinking about. I guess we can talk about that in the third one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll get through there. Um, But uh, yeah, so um, soundtrack for this one because I like I had this out. This soundtrack was looping around in my car. Uh, jamming. So it, we opened the movie with the She's Always in My Hair, the D'Angelo cover of the Prince song, which is a pre- pretty good cover, in my opinion. Um, Your Lucky Day in Hell by Eels was in there. Uh, Dave Matthews Band Help Myself, um, mm-hmm. which is the only place you can get the studio version of that song is the Scream 2 soundtrack. Um, they actually were supposed to supply the song Halloween for this movie, and they liked what they were doing because they were working on Before These Crowded Streets at the time. And they actually like what they came up with the studio cut, so they sent them this instead. Um, and then the swing by Everclear, Dear Lover, Foo Fighters, Scream, oh, Master P with Soak the Shocker, which was a single from this album. It was actually a music video and everything. Uh, Suburban Life from Cottonmouth Kings. I discovered who the Cottonmouth Kings were because of this soundtrack. Um, oh, another single from this album was She Said by Collective Soul which was supposed to be the big song from this album. Uh, the Less Than Jake cover, I Think I Love You, plays over the roster, the roll call at the end. Love it, yep. love it. Uh, Eyes of Sand by Tonic. Um, my favorite Sugar Ray song, Rivers, um, is from the soundtrack. And there's a cover of Right Place, Wrong Time by John Spencer, Blues Explosion, uh, which is a cover of Dr. John. And I notice they really want to make sure they get every damn song into this movie because if you watch the credits it is like a appetizer sampler of the soundtrack like right to the very end when there is the tonic song comes on as like the last credits coming on and to fade out to the logo and stuff like it is the last minute we got one song left we got it in there so many party scenes just so they can pump in some music there was well the party scenes have Foo Fighters Everclear and Dave Matthews Band are all in the the party scenes at the end credits has like seven songs. That's crazy. Cause they just like, here's a little bit of this one. Here's a little bit of this one and this one. So, cause they brought yeah. back red right hand too. Yes, yeah. they did. Yes, they did. Uh, I love that again, it's just like that scream. And it I is about it. Yeah. So I was watching have... Miners, like what the heck? Yeah. There's one movie. will forget it. Yeah. One movie. will forget that song. Well, I know next 
<laughs> leave your comments below. No. <laughs> leave your comments <laughs> below. So, but yeah, no, this one, yeah, this is this soundtrack uh, kicks. I believe the next movies will rival it uh, a bit, like where it's like scream sounds, but it's like everybody saw scream was like, we got to get on that. Here's our hottest artist right now. Do it. Um, but all the movie, like I remember when I hear these songs, I remember exactly where they are in the movie. That's how scream tooed I am. Wow. Like, yeah. So it's crazy, but yeah, so it is. So, okay. We will, uh, head, head, uh, bullet, uh, with this one, entry of the scream franchise, uh, till next time, where can people find you, Jessica? Oh, hang out with me on the Twitter at JN Allsman or Instagram at Jessica Allsman. All right. And Greg. And you can find me on Instagram or Twitter at, at the McGoonies. All right. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at BrandonForkyUHD. My written work is at right, why, so blue, dot com. Uh Next week, we will posey our way on over to Scream 3, which I am excited for opinions on this one. I love it. I am. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is one to talk about. This is, this is this is where uh, things get interesting here uh, for the third screen. But until then, stay film positive. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Alsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetersshow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetersshow.com. The show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.